About a month ago, when the United Kingdom was grappling with a surge in COVID-19 cases, an unexpected issue cropped up. PPE sizing. PPE is personal protective equipment, gloves, face masks, that sort of stuff, worn by frontline health workers helping to treat victims of the virus. The problem was the health profession in the UK is dominated by women. About 75% of NHS workers are women. But the protective equipment they were using was sized with men in mind. One nurse told a reporter for The Guardian PPE was designed for six foot three rugby players. And it's not an isolated incident. Much of our world was designed by men and, probably unconsciously, for men. That world is changing, of course, quickly. But is it changing quickly enough? Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, could a quota system on corporate boards help change New Zealand business for the better, or would it do more harm than good? Akshaya Kalmanath is a lecturer in law at the University of Auckland. Back in February, she wrote an interesting piece for the Conversation website looking at this very issue. And I wanted her to tell me what corporate diversity actually is. It originally started, and when I talk about originally started again, it started differently in each country. But if we look back to the discussion on diversity in the US, mm-hmm. there's one strand that will talk about diversity and affirmative action when we're talking about diversity in various levels of the business. But the moment you start talking about top management, the entire discussion changes to diversity of perspectives, diversity of experience, uh, the people of different qualifications adding their uh, expertise to management. So I think there's this sort of a double speak and irrespective of how it starts, for example, in um, Norway and the Scandinavian countries, it started with a more equality perspective. You need to have uh, demographic diversity at various levels of the workplace. But then when they start to market it to businesses, then they'll they'll sell it saying that it's good for business. So we think of it more in terms of good for business, meaning why is it good for business? Different people have different things to offer based on the different perspectives they bring right so we move to viewpoint diversity there yeah so diversity is almost sort of like the it can always be helpful to talk in opposites so like diversity is kind of like in this sense the opposite of homogeneity yeah how long has this been around as a wider issue or serious topic of discussion in terms of the corporate world i think it's always been around. So I did some research during my um, PhD dissertation and I found that even before, usually we look at the laws regarding corporate diversity coming starting in 2003 when Norway introduced its first law. Mm. But when I dug even before that, at least in the US, you see institutional investors asking directors for diversity on the board much before that. So there... In the 90s, it was more in a context of, I think, uh, racial diversity, not so much to do with gender. And then gender got into the mix. But I think it's become a big international issue in the corporate governance space since around 2003 when Norway's uh, law came out. Now, you might think of New Zealand as a reasonably egalitarian society, but it's not when it comes to the boardroom. 
Less than a quarter of all NZX company directors are women. According to a 2019 survey by Global Women, nearly 20% of our companies had no female directors on their boards. And that's really bad by international standards. In the US, just 2.5% of companies have no female directors. In Australia, it's just over 4%. And in the United Kingdom, France, Finland and Italy, every listed company has at least one female board member. But obviously, we're not alone in this predicament. And one of the poster children in terms of dealing with a lack of diversity, as Akshaya Kalmanath mentioned, is Norway. It used its company legislation, the basic company law itself, uh, to say that every public company board should at least have 40% um, women, rather 40% of the directors on a board should be women. So if we look at these sort of uh, diversity provisions or laws in other countries like New Zealand and Australia, we just use more soft law kind of measures that say that we encourage companies to do this, whereas Norway's law uh, made so much of, uh, it was big news because it was in its company law and the biggest sanction for not complying with the law could even be deregistering the company itself. Um, So that was something that made a lot of news. Obviously, companies don't get immediately deregistered for not complying. They'll first hear from the regulator, then they'll probably be given some time to comply. But there is this danger of um, having such a big sanction as well. Yeah, so Norway's law introduced back in 2003 essentially said that a company has to have 40% of its board or 40% of its directors had to be women, otherwise that company would face sanctions. Yes. The law change was predictably controversial. Policymakers were accused of tampering with free market mechanics, and critics also highlighted the severe shortage of suitably qualified women. But the system was pretty effective. Norway hit its 40% mark in 2016, and other countries which followed suit, like Iceland and France, also passed that 35% mark. Rob Campbell is a storied New Zealand businessman who sits on more boards than you could shake a stick at, including three of the country's largest corporates. I wanted to know, what do corporate boards actually do, and why is diversity desirable? Uh, So, (laughs) um, corporate boards are responsible for directing the strategy of the business. They're responsible for the appointment of the senior managers of the business, sometimes just the chief executive, but sometimes uh, more than that. Uh, They're responsible for ensuring that the business complies with all of its legal and banking and employment and other uh, obligations. Given those three things, the board also has a, a less easily defined leadership function for the business in terms of culture and what the business is on about and how it should behave. Uh, But its power, if you like, comes from those three things. When we talk about directors, what sorts of qualifications generally does a director need to sit on a board? That's changed a bit in in recent uh, times. Uh, Traditionally, a director was seen as needing to either have a professional qualification in law or accounting or extensive experience in management of a business. 
uh, and they were almost exclusively drawn from those kinds of backgrounds. Um, more recently, boards and shareholders have recognised that they need at the board level to have insights into management of people, professional uh, qualifications and experience qualifications with some uh, skill qualifications as well. Most directors are probably members of the Institute of Directors, but it's not a requirement that they be so. It's often directed at simply the board level and observes uh, quite uh, correctly that most major company boards are made up exclusively or primarily of old uh, white men, sort of people like me, really. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, and that that is probably uh, not reflective of the needs of the business. So it's often directed there, but I think it also needs to be thought of in terms of the entire management leadership team, where often the same characteristics are displayed, although maybe to a slightly lesser extent uh, in recent years. And increasingly, people who are concerned about issues of diversity uh, are talking about diversity and inclusion, which is about making sure that people from all sorts of backgrounds and with all sorts of characteristics are included and reflected properly in the whole structure of the business, uh, whether it be uh, at the customer-facing level or at the head office or, or wherever it might be. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but primarily, I think we still think about this as as needing to. Uh, to start at the top and have the senior leadership of the business and its board uh, not only look diverse but be diverse in terms of the way they think about business and its role in society. There are a bunch of reasons put forward for why so few women are on boards. Well, because they're self-appointed, uh, because the process of appointing boards uh, is largely run by the board themselves <clears throat> and uh, old white men are no worse than most other people in society like this. They, yeah. We tend to want to appoint people and we tend to value people who are like us, ones that are more challenging but difficult, maybe require us to change our behaviour in certain ways. Uh, we're less likely to want to involve. And uh, that's been the, uh, been the traditional view. That's why there's been the anti-woman quota that was being, to put it quite simply, uh, on boards. It's, it's not an accident. It's happened quite consciously. Uh, people like to appoint people that are more like them, guys they've worked with, guys they golf with, uh, guys who are in the same professional association as them. Um, it's not hard to see how it happens. It doesn't make it right. In fact, it arguably helps to make it wrong. Uh, but I think the self-perpetuation is the is the really key issue here. Rob, have you ever seen the TV show Seinfeld? Uh, yes, I have. <laughs> There's a good episode in Seinfeld. There's a character in Seinfeld called George Costanza who's a total loser. And um, there's an episode of it called The Opposite where George starts to do the exact opposite of every natural instinct that he has. And the world just falls into place for him. Maybe a bit of an elaborate metaphor, but do you reckon there's something to that? Yeah, we should all be Costanza. It's not. It's not. It's, not uh, it's an interesting thought. Look, you do have 
it's true in life generally, isn't it? And we sometimes forget it uh, in business, I know. But it is very valuable uh, to question your initial assumption to say, are we right here? And, uh, you know, one of the ways uh, that does happen increasingly in boards um, is, is... people refusing to accept shortlists, for example, uh, that don't have uh, reasonably diverse representation on them when the recruitment agent brings it in. And it's, I had one the other day. Uh, there were six uh, people on it for a chief executive position who were all uh, Pākehā white men. And uh, there was a genuine pushback from the team saying, well, hang on. You know, well, before we really consider this, have we really have you, and pushed very hard? Uh, and we're still pushing uh, to find uh, other people who deserve to be on that list and deserve to be to be considered. And uh, you know, we do all have to have to make that push. I know some, uh, and this is not unique at all, but uh, some female directors, for example, if they're asked to go on a board, will not go on unless if they are the only woman, because they are concerned that they'll be seen as a token and they're saying well if you want to make a change let's make something of a decent change and have at least two uh, women on the board push forward on that so I think that questioning does happen we just all got to do a whole lot more of it. Tokenism is a real issue with legislating for more women on boards. In India, for example, there must be, by law, at least one female director. And although it's boosted the numbers, most new appointees, initially at least, were either family members or young women with no suitable experience. Then there's the argument that you should have the best person for the role, no matter who they are. You don't want tokenism. No, that's absolutely right. I don't think the... I don't think the business needs tokenism and, and people also don't like being or being thought of as tokens for, for very good reasons. So uh, I'm very, very opposed to uh, tokenism. I, I don't have any uh, directors uh, uh, that have been appointed to boards while I've been on them who I don't think have uh, more than sufficient merit to justify uh, that appointment. If your definition of merit is to uh, be white, be male, and have 40 years' experience in a business, then um, that's very limiting. And boards candidate of the workforce or the customer base uh, or whatever. It's, it's an aspiration, and it's also, more importantly, a way you behave. And I think it is possible for boards, for example, to have very good outreach and seek input from uh, a wider variety of sources uh, amongst, you know, a younger generation, uh, amongst a broader group of ethnicities. You know, Auckland is very interesting. Tamaki Makara is one of the most super diverse cities in the, in the world uh, in terms of the number of ethnicities who live and work uh, in this city. And I still think we're all struggling to find the ways in which we can get the benefit of that, we can get the, if you like, the super diversity dividend from that. Uh, We don't currently have good means to access. I don't pretend I know what those are, but I'm aware that it should be an aspiration for businesses operating in this city to be able to leverage that super diversity, not see it as a problem, but see it as an enormous opportunity. There aren't many clear pathways to force diversity, but one which New Zealand hasn't yet followed is the quota system. So could it work here? 
actually. Akalmanath isn't a fan. Yeah, I suppose you have to start somewhere. But this is, like I said earlier, even if I said I'd agree that having a quota for a temporary one year or two years wouldn't be bad if we don't, during those temporary one or two years, uh, throw up our hands and say we don't need to do anything else. We have quotas in place. I would imagine if we say that we had a quota representing, say, uh, four or five different categories that we want, uh, but the company has done nothing else to promote inclusiveness, mm -hmm. then as people within the workforce start to realize or define that this company isn't uh, very inclusive, people of different ethnicities or maybe genders might not actually want to continue working in that company. So they would still be reliant on the quota. It would never be self-sustaining if there are no other measures you put in with that. But Rob Campbell reckons it's about time to pull finger, to stop talking and to start doing. And if quotas can kickstart that, why not? I do think we will probably head down the road of quotas. Uh, they're inflexible and they have some uh, undesirable characteristics. I think they can just breed tokenism. But if you can't get move any other way, then uh, I do believe that uh, quotas uh, are something that can and probably should come because I don't see any other way we're going to shift this. What quotas find most difficult to do uh, is to reflect the genuine diversity in the population. I think you could address effectively the gender diversity issue uh, with quotas, and it may be that we need to do that. Uh, but yeah, I think it's hard when you've got directorships of you know, six or seven people to necessarily reflect the full diversity that we would get uh, benefit from through a, through a quota system. Uh, so at the end of the day, I think directors and investors have got to take the responsibility on themselves to uh, ensure that we do get more rapid change. Otherwise, we will society will force quotas on us. That's the detail for today, and sorry about some of that Zoom audio with Rob Campbell falling out. We're still not quite back to normal here. The detail comes to you from newsroom.co.nz, and it's made for RNZ with the help of NZ On Air. Thanks to Akshaya Kalmanath and Rob Campbell, and to Jeremy Ansell for engineering this episode. Ka kite anō.